Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came, Humanoids from the Deep Dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie, monster, and or film, and what we think it means, using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. Today's episode is a really exciting one for me personally. We will be covering one of the, the best early works, in my opinion, by the master of body horror himself, David Cronenberg, uh, and his film, The Brood. Cronenberg's been a longtime favorite of mine. I'm so excited because we haven't been able to broach him, and we'll bring it home today. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbeans. Basically, if you can listen to a podcast, the place you can find us. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter. I encourage you to at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes and Looper on everything genre film with bylines, letters the bite and elsewhere. And I've co-edited uh, two books on Monster Media, Alien Philosophy, Stranger Things in Philosophy as well as having written about everything from the devil, hell, Cloverfield, Frankenstein, Jurassic Park. Basically, if it's monsters, I love it. And I've probably written about it or done something about it. I'm very pleased uh, as well to introduce our two excellent co-hosts for today's episode. Luna Wee is a horror addict with a deep appreciation for the horrific, the monstrous, and the human experience. And Mike Vaughn is the founder of The Video Attic, which is your source for reviews, news, and exclusive interviews. Thank you both for stopping by to co-host the show with me today. Absolutely. Always happy to be here. Always great to be here. It's a blast to have you. And uh, last but certainly not least, I would, I'm so thrilled to introduce our special guest for today. Izzy Lee is a critically beloved American filmmaker. She's known for a variety of really excellent short films, including My Monster, Innsmouth, and I love this title, The Obliteration <laughs> of Chickens. <laughs> they know what they did uh, all published through her company uh nile knocked them uh thank you so much for stopping by izzy thanks for having me thank you for that wonderful introduction <laughs> i meant every single word of it and oh too kind <laughs> too accurate and for the folks at home uh she also pitched this episode so um you can thank her directly for the fact that we get to talk cronenberg and i am jazz i was such a fan of izzy lee but when she picked the brood i felt like that kind of cemented like i i, I am such a huge fan of this movie so yay mm-hmm. it was one of my favorites of all time yeah izzy mike really he really talked you up he, he he definitely loves your work and i respect his i mean that's why he's a co-host on the show because i respect his <laughs> opinions on things and so uh i i got to check out all the the links that you thoughtfully sent and you're super talented by the way oh well i'm i'm hoping i'm getting better with each film yeah that's 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 my goal for even everything like yeah <laughs> I, i've written a lot for a long time and i still try and like okay let's just like push it closer push it closer to what i would like to pump out it's so important to like never get complacent and always strive to like be more innovative etc yeah it's true you got to keep swimming just like a shark if you don't you know that's the end mm-hmm 
Absolutely right. Yeah, it, it, it's been so fascinating, Izzy, to watch your shorts over the years. And I mean, I think they're all fantastic, but I can definitely see like more complexity, just not only in like story, but just like directing, editing. And like, I 100% agree with Jeff. It's like, there's stuff I've written last year. I'm like, God, <laughs> I feel kind of embarrassed that I wrote that. <laughs> it's a sign of growth, a sign of growth. Yeah, if you're not growing, you're staying stagnant. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to kind of be a little bit embarrassed about earlier work because it just means you're you're getting better. And Yeah, that's how I feel mm-hmm. about a lot of my early short films. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, so kind of how uh, this episode will be structured is uh, we'll just start off by just generally introducing the brood in, uh, you know, the, the, the basic level of detail because we're going to have time to really dig in deep to what we want to talk about, dig a little bit deeper into the context, and then kind of open it up to talk about all the themes and the monsters and the weirdness that we, uh, we find in it kind of as our standard format sorry i'm running on like five hours of sleep and i'm really jacked up on coffee but i'm very excited you got this jeff (laughs) (laughs) i try that should be let's listen that should be this potto this potto yeah uh just had a small stroke there um that that should be this podcast motto we're running on coffee let's do this shit no sleep jacked up this is awesome (laughs) let's do it (laughs) <laughs> I endorse this. Uh, the brood centers around the Soma Free Institute of Psychoplasmics, a controversial retreat outside of Toronto that's created by this controversial psychologist, Hal Raglan, where patients learn to give physical manifestation to their emotional issues and deep-seated pressures and stresses. They're kind of pulled to the, the external surface, uh, all these subconscious elements, and they manifest as sores, welts, and other physical skin abrasions. One of his patients, uh, Nola Carveth, is uh, in a tough custody battle with her husband, Frank, for the uh, the custody of their daughter, Candace. So he discovers bruises on the young girl's body following one of the visits with the mother at this institute. And he starts to investigate the Soma Free Institute and the situation around it. At around the same time, this series of murders happen starts happening locally, happens to be happening to people that are connected to frank it follows horror master david cronenberg's prior classic shivers and rabid and we can talk about this a little bit more but it was actually conceived directly as a consequence of his own messy divorce and so it kind of takes themes that were already in his work and gets extremely personal in ways that are scary but really interesting so where we can go into first is 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 give our own impressions and then our and simultaneously kind of like our review of it out of five stars and izzy as our guest would you mind if we start with you yeah sure uh this is i assume five stars being the greatest mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a five-star movie for me um it touches upon a lot of really intense um things within the familial union um there's severe trauma there that's being handed down from generation to generation and these uh buds of trauma manifest in in the form of as you were saying before sores and hives and things and then they in the case of one particular fictional patient in this movie they become these nasty little creatures that you know look like kids Mm-hmm. And these creatures are the manifestations of rage. Mm-hmm. And whoever, 
you know, in this case, it would be Nola. If Nola feels upset or angry towards someone, these creatures, the brood, will go ahead and dispense with that person on her, her behalf, and she won't even know it. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty amazing, frightening concept, and actually quite brilliant in its absolute simplicity, if you really think about it. And I just, I love it so much. It has such deep meaning and, and humanity. And in 1979, there wasn't the phrase elevated horror, but I would think that if it had come out today, people would be using that term as reviled mm-hmm. as it can be and loaded within this community, which, you know, I certainly understand. Um, it is a much deeper horror than a lot of what you see having been out at the Cineplex in, in terms of trauma within the horror films. I would rate it with, you know, Hereditary. I would make a crazy double feature. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I love exploring the deep, the dark, the wicked in terms of what's supposed to be safe. So this this hits home for me on a lot of levels. And I love it so much. Absolutely. I laughed because I imagined how the, um, the phrase, I am your mother, would have worked perfectly in this film, too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, th- yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I mean, we'll get to my own review, and it's it's a uh, it's a spectacular film. Uh, but, but yeah, I, you mentioned so many things that I really have to dig into. So it's perfect. Um, uh, maybe Mike, uh, would you like to go next? Yeah, I actually think um, so. I was trying to think about what my absolute favorite Cronenberg film is, and. I have to say, like, this is probably easily my top five. Mm-hmm. I think that the the concept is so brilliant. It, it's such a weird premise, but it's not weird for weird sake, that it's um, actually really deep and thoughtful and interesting and also just very brutal. Um, but it, it's it's not like shock value with like no value like it's very much trying to say something i think um cronenberg even called it like his kramer versus kramer mm-hmm. which I, I think is fucking great <laughs> that would make an interesting double feature <laughs> just with kramer versus kramer he would get that billing he'd be like yes exactly when um izzy when you said you wanted to talk about this i was super excited not only just because it's one of my favorite films but it's one of those you can just talk about almost endlessly like the themes and the motifs and gosh just everything with like motherhood and you can get so deep into that um aspect of it so i was like oh this is gonna be fun (laughs) like not only am i really excited about this but it's just gonna be so fun to like uh pick apart so um definitely five out of five for me (laughs) it's like i keep thinking it's maybe even one of my favorite cronenberg films just because like I said, the execution's so perfect. The atmosphere is great. Like Oliver Reed is always a win. Um, God, that opening scene with the the therapy session is so devastating. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> and like, so my name is Michael, and the guy's name is Michael. So I'm like, oh my God, like this is kind of <laughs> like, um, like who doesn't want to call Oliver Reed daddy? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Oh, well, maybe it's just me then. I, mean, I don't know. If we're going to call Oliver Reed Daddy, then we have to go watch the doubles and talk about that. Oh, yeah. Because okay. that <laughs> is... So we do, though, because that's always amazing. 
but uh no it, it's it's great though it, it's just like all jokes aside it, it's like i think it might be one of my favorite um oliver reed performances um i mean i mean everybody goes so close to going ham but they never quite get there mm-hmm. and this movie's so kind of off balance and off kilter anyways that kind of almost hammy performances i think kind of really work mm-hmm. <laughs> i agree yeah i i couldn't agree more um I think it's, it's such talented performances. It's very suspenseful. Humanoids from the deep dive, where you can call <laughs> Oliver Reed daddy. Oh. <laughs> I've done it before. I did it last week. <laughs> you don't have to, but you can. <laughs> um, I love it. Thank you so much. Luna, what's your take? I mean, I on the at the risk of sounding repetitive uh, for our listeners, I am a huge fan of this film. I think seeing that it was made in 79, there is there are so few movies from that era that make me feel the way this movie makes me feel. And I think that it's an incredible way to tell so many intricate stories about autonomy and family and abuse and trauma. And I, I just totally, I'm like starstruck. So I, this is definitely a five out of five for me as well. Well, you know, I'm going to be a little bit, um, I'm going to mix things up a little bit. I'm going to say that for my review, it is opposite day and this movie gets zero stars. What? Um, (laughs) Because that means zero or five. Uh, (laughs) I just want to be a little tiny bit different. No, I I, I agree with everyone's assessment that it's a five-star movie. One of the things that that Izzy pointed out and that I totally agree with is that it, it does feel at home with the modern Ari Aster style emotional like very personal driven story where it draws you in at first through concern over the daughter and through this very tension-ridden personal situation that becomes something more monstrous when you're already kind of raw about what's going on which is such an effective way to do horror and and if you see you know shivers or rabid it definitely shows Cronenberg's early genius and how he can construct very clever different spins on a classic trope but in this film it's it's very personal it's so layered with meaning and the performances are excellent Uh, Oliver Reed is scary but then he becomes kind of admirable later on when he starts to take responsibility for what's been going on in a way and and aids the protagonist we can get into that maybe that it's just such a talentedly uh, executed film. It's so personal. It's really exceptional. And the creature concept is pretty novel. And there really isn't much else like it. It's a totally different uh, MO and, and mythos and everything. But the only film that really came to mind conceptually for me was kind of Cat People. Because she doesn't transform into anything when she's angry. But her anger produces this otherworldly mm. effect in a way that's not often a plot of these sorts of films and then it takes revenge on her enemies absolutely I, what i found extremely interesting about the creature monster aspect the the brood itself mm-hmm. like it is her anger manifested into a physical mm-hmm. form but it doesn't mm-hmm. have any effect on her which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's not, she's like not now with less anger than before. She's, she's feeling all the same things. Unlike so many other depictions of monster children or monster offspring that now have some of you in them and they go on and now 
both of you are connected in this way. It's almost, they're almost autonomous after leaving her Mm -hmm. with, except for this connection to her desires. I've spent a lot of time thinking about how the anger works for them Mm -hmm. because she claims to have really, she basically just has good dreams when they're murdering people (laughs) and then doesn't have any, it's not like she's seeing through their eyes or telling them what to do directly. It's just like her rage just animates them as as though they're like gargoyles that are deactivated and then oh it's nighttime mm-hmm. um they kind of like swarm the target of her rage in this really unique way it's so subconscious it's definitely like this manifestation of the id gone rampant uh and i love it so as we kind of mentioned this is in a, in a way cronenberg's kramer versus kramer in the sense that it was directly produced while he was in the middle of his own divorce and custody battle and he was actually scheduled to he was supposed to do something that was an entirely different script and its plot lines and vague outline kind of became uh what is it scanners um and he was scheduled to do something totally different and then he just kind of changed course and came up with this because of what he was going through and went ahead with it he he considered the brood the most classic horror film that he's done in terms of its basic structure so he basically became aware of kramer versus kramer during his divorce and he was disillusioned by its very optimistic depiction of familial breakdown and so he rolled up his sleeves (laughs) he was very unhappy with with things and he, he kind of came up with this that kind of like brings the id into it and brings the contention and the, the in some ways subconscious malice, I guess you could say. And a weird fact that I found out is that in casting the roles of both Frank and Nola, Cronenberg explicitly sought actors who were vague facsimiles, quote unquote, of himself and his wife. Yep. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, just being super subtle there friend i love it and it wasn't just like a terrible divorce either it was he flew from canada to california to rescue their daughter who had been kidnapped by you know her mother and they mm-hmm. were in a cult so they're in a commune somewhere in california and i don't i don't know much more of this than what i just said but it's just so insane wow that's crazy i know right? yeah i wow <laughs> <laughs> I like a need yeah, a minute. I see the, <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see the inspiration though, where it's like, oh, someone's taken my daughter to this strange facility where, like, and they need rescued because they're in danger. Yeah, that's I can definitely see how that those specifics fueled the the story world. I just I kind of love how um, somebody like like um, Cronenberg could take something as. I don't know. I don't want to say like it's a paper thin thin premise, um, but just as in like a by the numbers divorce um, premise, but then add so many different layers of just uh, context and symbolism. And I I mean, it's, it's kind of staggers my mind that like somebody could, could take something as, you know, even mundane as like a custody situation and turn it into such a nightmarish uh situation um like grotesquely so sure but at the like from my point of view i've I've never had to go through a custody battle but i have sisters and um they can be exactly this grotesque and 
traumatic for everyone involved that it you're right it's like this mundane thing that from the outside is like oh you're dealing with this thing and it'll happen and it'll be resolved and then some judge will tell you what to do and then that's what you do for the rest of your life and or until they're you know whatever but while you're in it it is about as chaotic as well not this film but a film <laughs> yeah uh yeah it, this is basically like a a surreal and aggressive version of a marriage story yeah yeah oh god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh oh you think that was <laughs> you think that was bad oh <laughs> this is cronenberg's a marriage story that's my official synopsis from now on. we need to get cronenberg to remake a marriage story with Adam Driver. Oh man, then I would like it. Oh, you didn't like oh, it? Oh snap. <laughs> I thought it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> Shots fired. But like, I don't like, okay, I don't, this can stay in the podcast or it can go. I don't really care. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Noah Baumbach's writing in general. That's just me. It always comes across as though it's like he thinks he's super like clever. Like he thinks he's Adam Driver's character. And it's never as clever as anything's in, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure he's a great guy. Wow. I have strong opinions. You know what I would love to be able to do is cast Cronenberg and Adam Driver as like father son in a really Ooh. fucked up dramatic horror yeah. film. I'm here I'm for that. Green light that right now. I love it. Like That'd here's all my money. Uh yep. <laughs> like, okay. Some goes to Del Toro's at the Mountains of Madness, and then sure. some goes towards this. And there we go. <laughs> here's all my money. amazing because the thing is it's it's not even just uh i mean custody battles i'm fortunate that i i've uh never had to go through one i have been divorced there were no children involved fortunately but uh it's so interesting because even divorces without custody battles can be so tense because it's it's so much easier to get married than to get divorced Mm -hmm. and i i have had to negotiate to make things go smoother, you know, convincing someone that was terrible that I still wanted to be in their life in order for things to be smooth, you know, mm, which is exactly what happened in this movie. Yep. Exactly. So the end of it, I'm like, Oh, I get you, man. <laughs> like yeah. 100% relatable to me. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, some personal stuff here. My parents are the reason I don't want kids because I feel like my early life was absolute fucking chaos. And I relate to this movie in the fact that my parents were, well, I would say like one of them was more explosive than the other for sure. And it was just never pleasant, uh, or I should say that was rare. Um, and so they went through a very hor- horrific, we all went through a very horrific divorce that was messy and violent and uh, not good for anybody in the way that anyone dealt with things. And so this snippet in time, this is not my history because it's fictional, but it feels spot on mm-hmm. for so many things, like just the time period and, and you know the way people were dressed. And besides the tragic haircut of the poor school teacher that gets you know smashed in the face at kindergarten, yeah. mm. that haircut's coming back. I saw it a couple times already. Yeah, but truck stops don't count. <laughs> And that's even worse. Like, no one should ever have that fucking haircut. I'm sorry. I know, it's the worst. I don't know why it's back, but it's coming back. It It looks like a fucking nightmare. Do you want to look like a nightmare? Have that haircut. I know. Oh, man. I I mean, I saw a lot like it growing up in in Eastern Washington. That's not a compliment. 
<laughs> it's not my favorite. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Izzy, uh, th- thank you so much for sharing something so personal. I really appreciate it. Because um, like one of the things that yeah. uh, sure. that sure. I, I love about the show is that we don't just deep dive in in intellectual senses only. It's you know, there's so much to unpack and all these things have so many layers of meaning and connect to us in so many personal ways. And I, I just love this to be a space where people can just be 100% real. And uh, I can definitely see why you connected with this material and it 100% makes sense to me now. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it comes across to me as a like fever dream nightmare of what I would have imagined in as a child like uh, I was such a visual kid crazy like imagination I created the most terrifying monsters that I've ever seen to this day in my head and so it's like I have a different sort of um, upbringing I'm a daughter of immigrants so there's a lot of fear of the outside Mm. knowing what happens within our house and it was like watching this film evoked a lot of those emotions of fears and images of of what would happen if I were a child put into this scenario like I identified with candy while watching the film not because this is what happened to me or this is my family and I certainly Mm -hmm. don't look like them they're white but I like I just like felt that that moment where she's holding them back and screaming it's like that is exactly what my nightmares felt like and i think that's why i connected with this film so much that's um yeah yeah thank you as well for talking about that i can see that um it's so interesting too because the uh the the creatures and and i could talk about them a little more explicitly in 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 a little bit Uh, i don't want to distract too much right now but the interesting fact about them is that they look like children in a sense where in a classroom full of other children, unless you were looking dead face at them, you wouldn't know they're not children and they're not humans. And so it's so interesting because it's like mm-hmm. these these <laughs> little surprising predators among, you know, they're like wolves dressed like sheep among sheep in a way. And they mm-hmm. have this weird type of intelligence, even though they're effectively feral and like they have tactics, you know, and so it just makes you feel like not safe. When yeah. you, and especially for children, as as we see in the film, like who are so vulnerable. Yeah, I think it's like the only like killer child movie. Like I know they're they're not, I guess, technically children, but I mean, like with like evil kids, I feel like I could just push them over. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be yeah. good. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but like here, it, it's like Jeff said, they're you know, they're more cunning, they're more vicious, they're, they're not like human, you know, they have, um, you know, some, some sort of strategy. And I mean, I touched upon this in my initial review, but like, just the, the attacks are just so brutal. And it's not like a quick shoot Mm -hmm. or a quick stab. I mean, like, like the grandma's like beat literally beaten to death um with like a mallet i mean it, it, it's mm. like i've seen mm. every kind of like gory thing imaginable and like those kind of make me wince a little bit just because of how they're not particularly i mean they're bloody they're not per- particularly gory but like they're just done in such a personal uh way that it's just 
kind of freaks me out. And, and, you know, it's supposed to. I mean, it's not... That is way more effective than I think, like, any kind of other kills in a movie just because it's, you know, it, it's not, mm -hmm. again, you know, Cronenberg doesn't do this to be gratuitous. It's not like a uh, typical slasher mm -hmm. movie by any means. But it's it's like, uh, you know, he really makes you feel it. Yeah. And it, it's mm -hmm. just so visceral and... Oh, it, it sometimes creeps me out. <laughs> it's the only killer kids film that I've ever seen that's actually really scary. I yeah. totally agree. I saw this way too young um, during uh, Joe Bob's first, you know, TNT sure. uh, show, uh, Monster Vision. And um, it scared the hell out of me then. And that kitchen scene where there's oh. that one creature in there tracking and and fucking up the kitchen and then crouching way the top up above on the cabinets waiting yeah. for mm -hmm. the woman to look up and then she does and we hold on her face and then we see the opposite reverse shot where there's this thing this fucked up childlike creature perched way up there and then jumps down it's terrifying and it has a meat tenderizer and it just goes to town it's still terrifying oh absolutely that build up uh to that scene is just a masterclass of just, you know, something's coming, you know, it's coming and you know, you're anticipating it and it still just knocks you on your ass just because, I mean, he's such a, a master at not just getting right to it. Just, you know, having the proper kind of build up is just, I mean, I think that's important in any kind of horror mm -hmm. film, but I mean, gosh, that, that is such a, such a great scene yeah because you know you know that something is going to go wrong but you have no idea what if you haven't seen this movie before at that point and so it's such a weird surprise that still isn't explained until later before we started recording i was talking to jeff and saying that like the brood was one of those films i was like oh it's that cronenberg film and i had never actually sat down to like watch it until i was preparing for this podcast cool. and so this was my first time which i i'm delighted that it was nice. I was able to like take notes during my first time and so I'm one of those people I'm like watching and taking notes <laughs> and so in my notes it's like kitchen demon yeah. oh my god yeah it. kitchen demon <laughs> like, I was like what's happening and before I figured out you know what the actual plot was but um but going back to what mm -hmm. Mike was saying about the violence the like how the viciousness of the attacks it reminded me of Joaquin Phoenix in You Were Never Really Here. Ooh, mm -hmm. I love that movie. Love that movie. So and again, the violence is out of this world, but you don't see it. You know that's bloody, and you know that he's doing things with these very large, heavy objects, and you know how injured the person is afterwards, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily see it on screen. And it, it's just so powerful in making you feel the viciousness of the attack mm -hmm. um, as a viewer. Absolutely. And, and, and also I, I agree with, with both Izzy and Mike in that this scary, it, they're not children, but it's basically a scary kid movie. Uh, even though they're not kids, like human children in terms of its construction. But normally those also don't scare me for, for the same reasons that, that y'all talked about uh especially mike because i won't say this about evil children because they are in the plot <laughs> children but i'll say say chucky right if i can pick you up and yeet you i'm not afraid of you. <laughs> you know what i mean like i could launch chucky off a building 
not really scary <laughs> fun right not scary but these kids the the fact that they swarm they surprise they have this weird hybrid of like raw id malice with intelligence and they're incredibly strong they're very weirdly proportionally strong <laughs> um well fun fact they they got 10 uh grade school girl gymnasts um huh. you know to, to play those you know rude kids and they were amazing like what a what a genius part on oh, casting i'm so glad that that you mentioned awesome. that because yeah that's uh i know because it's interesting too because they are asexual mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're often in these big fluffy like child jackets so their actual form is uh the only thing you could really see is their sort of distorted faces. Yeah, they move like nobody's business. It's insane. It's so cool. I love that fact. That makes me very happy. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's actually take a second to talk about the actual creatures of the, the brood. To describe it to the audience, they are um, the set of small blonde humanoids that look at face value like human children with distorted faces. Uh, they're like humanoid in appearance, but really they look like they're... D- very distorted visually when they do an autopsy on one of them in the film they describe them as they have irises but no retinas they see things probably in black and white cleft upper lip thick tongue so no language they have no teeth but beak-like gums is how they're described so they they could still bite you and it hurts the weirdest thing all that's really weird but the weirdest thing is (laughs) okay so they have no sex organs no belly button and they basically are described as having between their shoulder blades this collapsed uh, or this this fleshy sack full of nutrients, basically, that fuels them as though it is a battery. And when they run out, they die, which is really odd. And then we see kind of how they're born. They're born in these birth sacks, kind of. It's like an external placenta. Yeah. Exactly. That kind of looks a little bit like the the pods in the Matrix that human beings are grown in. Uh, without all the technological aspects, of course. But it kind of looks like that little placenta sac that's external. Yeah, so they have... They're so odd, and they're just a manifestation of Nola's rage. Like, raw id malice. That she doesn't even know... She produces them, and while she's doing it, she seems aware of it. But then when they go off to do their ragey murder thing, she doesn't really seem to know that's happening. Right. It's so fascinating. Like they get kind of maintain in her id the entire time. Yeah. I, one of the major impressions that I had was about the physical deformity as a characteristic of divorced body and mind mm. in the film. And that was over and over again, iterative throughout the film. But as far as the brood, like they're, like you said, little trauma inducing id creatures. And it really is, it felt less like they were a manifestation of her trauma and more like they're her id and will impart trauma on others mm-hmm. um, without really knowing or caring what they're doing because they're little rage machines. Yeah. And um, and one of the things that I found interesting that they mentioned in the film was that their world is in black and white and no color. And it's like the idea of absolutism not being tenable with the real world. Mm-hmm. Otherwise our minds would go insane or even more insane than they already are. And so they are forced to live, like it wouldn't be possible for them to live in any gray area or nuance and and there's the 
idea of love and rage and how those are two very extreme emotions that are that are usually on off and difficult to manage in a liminal space so these little brood creatures are like incapable of anything other than absolute terror or sleep which Mm -hmm. you know or death yeah no i think that's 100 percent true and super poignant um it's so interesting too because it kind of almost reminds me of so we recently recorded we haven't released it yet but we recorded a monsters of doctor Mm -hmm. who episode and they (laughs) remind me of um, the daleks because they're they're driven by inexhaustible hatred in the same way and they're literally described as they exterminate things that are unlike them because it is like an on rage has an on off switch you know it Mm -hmm. is ones or zeros there's you know either something passes or you hate it so you have to destroy it and they operate in the same way um Mm -hmm. yeah so it definitely rings true to that and to the nature of of rage especially like unprocessed id rage the kind that the, the mother has in the film are, are, is the brood like the origin story for the Daleks? Like they eventually <laughs> communicate with each other and move to another planet. And then they're like, they turn into little rage Nazis. I mean, the, the, the size is correct. First of all, <laughs> you could definitely make them into little tanks. Yeah. So I find it so fascinating too, because it has a lot to say about trauma. It has a lot to say about the nature of unprocessed, unhealthily processed rage. So the psychoplasmics psychological technology or the the technique is Mm -hmm. so weird and it's very ill-defined. It's definitely like movie science. Definitely. Yes. There's like, oh, well, we just get you really deep into your sub, we bring your subconscious pains to the surface in a very deep way, Uh, you know, reach down. And And and, somehow you're better. (laughs) And somehow you're better. Well, it's a catharsis. And it like makes your body sick, but in making your body sick, it makes you better. Or at least like it goes there instead of being psychologically in you. It's it's movie science. They kind of skate by that part, how it's supposed to work. But then it's so interesting to watch these normal people that have uh, different types of trauma. Many of them will have, you know, lesions, will have bruises, will have... Uh, sores and, and and that's the way it manifests but for her it manifests in little rage murders. yeah and I'm, I'm like assuming that um they make it pretty clear i mean I, I i just rewatched it um like the other day and it seems like she's the only one that can kind of manifest anything like physical like mm-hmm. that like i guess that's the whole reason why yeah. like they kick everybody else out and you know devote the time to her because she oh yeah oliver yeah. reed knows chaos is coming and he's knows there's a shed full of crazy little fucked up rage children so he's like i'm <laughs> gonna make sure the murder stops with me as, as, yeah. you know we all have mm-hmm. sheds like that i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would never have a murder shed full of monsters i definitely don't have an army of monsters at the ready of all of the people that i possibly know on the internet jeff you would be the one <laughs> oh thank you you're welcome (laughs) if i get to make one of the movies that i'm trying to make feature wise we've we've got a got a shed that's all i'm gonna say about it also also that and there's 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 deep 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 family trauma in in that film as well well the script and uh some fucked up things so fingers crossed i can get a budget for this one that's awesome i I hope that works out I have been so excited to see a feature film from you. So that's, that's anything is going to be 
probably very awesome. Well, thanks. Me too. Not <laughs> <laughs> a lack of trying, you guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I talked to so many filmmakers and like I have a, a friend who we're trying to buy, buy some international rights to a film we want to I want to, I, I at least want to write it. I'm going to like let him direct since he's had experience. But I, I mean, I, I talked to so many filmmakers and it's like, gosh, it, it's like a small miracle. Anything gets made. And I mm-hmm. have like just the deepest respect for anybody that can put up with the insanity. Like, like I, I, um, Justin sent me, um, the arrow version of clapboard jungle. Oh, nice. And, um, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, I think like right out of the gate, you say like, you know, something like to the effect of you have to be insane to be a filmmaker or something, something like that. You have to be a masochist and you have to yes. be at least yeah. a little insane to do yeah. anything in this fucking business. Because let me tell you, okay, it is full of people who not just didn't get enough love as children. And that's probably the norm. And those people you don't have to worry about the people you have to worry about are the narcissists, the carn artists the um money launderers sometimes um and um mm-hmm. there are a lot of sociopaths and psychopaths in the industry too it is a perfect storm of insanity that you know you say fight fire with fire it's madness with madness but like is your type of madness the type of madness that's gonna like win out and be tenacious or are you gonna mm-hmm. go down in flames because this industry does break people every single day mm-hmm. yeah and, and like you know when i write a review i always try to keep in mind that like okay maybe if i didn't necessarily like someone's film i always try to find some positives because i know that you know someone didn't snap their finger and, and make this this took countless hours and money yeah. and so i always try to be really respectful of and keep that in mind i mean uh, a lot of critics don't unfortunately mm-hmm. um like they like yeah. to um, like they think of it as like sport to have the most cutting lines and stuff. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Like that just it, it, I, I yeah. can't be that ugly. Like even even like a movie that I feel is just so like cynical and and is such a cash in. I still have to think that like, yeah, but like people put their heart and soul and literally like tons of money into this. So I always try to keep mm-hmm. that in mind but i mean it's um yeah i mean it's like when you when you put anything out into the world um like i wrote my book and i was like so scared to put it out there because it's not really yours anymore you know i think that should be mm-hmm. true with any art um you know be it that's how i feel every episode mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm like okay please tell me this doesn't <laughs> yeah suck. i mean like listen like you 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 birth these little rage monsters and you take them put them out into the world i mean it's it's uh you know i i think it's like with filmmaking or writing or just putting anything out there it's it's not yours anymore and i think that like that it's such an interesting and exciting concept but also horrifying um i don't definitely i mean as a dancer and choreographer i do that on the daily (laughs) Mm -hmm. no matter what like as soon as you're done moving it's gone so Oh, and the live is very scary uh, because, I mean, I can edit. If I sound like a moron, I can be like, Andre, please cut this out because I sounded like an idiot. Um, but when it's live, it's a different story entirely, obviously. Right. Yeah. Oh, I only deal in live. That's one of the things I, I like know. talking about with people that have recorded media. I'm like, that sounds so terrifying to me because it's like 
permanent, but someone in the audience might forget that you fell. So it's fine. That's true. That's true. That's why there was like no recording, please. Because, um, but any, but Mike, by the way, I, I just want to say that say that I, I as a as a reviewer myself as well. Like I definitely share your ethos, and even when I'm critical of something, um, I mean, very rarely is a film entirely bad. You know what I mean? I've been critical of films where I'm like, well, let's let's be honest. You know, the cinematography is great. The perform these lead performances are fantastic. Here are the problems that ultimately knock it down. But it's never just like I hate this film. The writing is the dumbest thing. They should never work again. Sorry, Noah Baumbach. Yeah, that's way too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and like, <laughs> sorry, in the, sorry in the sense that I'm not saying that about him. <laughs> I should be clear. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like I and what I really like about. Um, I know I keep talking about Clapboard Jungle, but I, I, it was it was like one of my favorite films from Fantasia Fest last year. But mm-hmm, good. Um, it, yeah, it's so interesting because like, uh, you know, not not only does it go through every aspect of filmmaking, um, but, you know, it talks about how to deal with critics. And as a critic myself, I mean, I always I always need a reality check of, you know, don't be don't be an asshole. Yeah, um, that, co- that covers like most situations pretty well, actually. If you think like, what would a jerk do in this situation? And you just don't do that thing. You end up being pretty <laughs> nice. All right. Um, or at least okay. Cool. Um, yeah, it's interesting for me too, because like I kind of, part of the way that I developed my like reviewer ethos was because I do want to be a filmmaker and that is my career goal. So part of me is always like, well, I'm going to be real, but also... I don't know who I'm going to like work with or meet in that context in the future. So I don't want to just like start kicking faces. Cause it sounds good to be me. Everybody off. What was the guy that did, um, Oh, boondock saints. And he did that documentary and he just ripped apart oh. everybody. And it basically killed his career. His his name. Sounds like a bad I idea. Exactly. I think it was a really long vulture article about that or something. Yeah, um, I'll have to look it up, but I mean, it, the documentary is fascinating because it's like behind the scenes of him getting this deal at Miramax, and the whole thing is like somebody thought it was a brilliant idea to capture on film him talking shit about everybody, all of his in, in, uh, industry connections, um, and you know, this documentary came out and nobody wanted to work with him and i i guess like boondock saints 2 eventually got made but like i can't even think of the guy's name so there you it's go it's troy duffy yes <laughs> yeah and uh yeah i liked boondock saints when i was i was a kid because i was i mean i was an angsty kid so it was, it was a fun film but um but the documentary yeah. it, it's fascinating it's called overnight and it's on tubi you guys Ooh. Uh, okay Oh, look at that. Cool. for the folks at home, that. you can watch a filmmaker's id for free. <laughs> as uh, yes. Oh, and let me just read the description because this ties in into this episode. Strangely enough. Okay. This documentary follows Troy Duffy, a brash, foul-mouthed bartender whose screenplay for an action film called Boondock Saints scores him a generous contract to write and direct the film for Harvey Weinstein at Miramax Studios. Duffy's band... The Brood oh. is also in the midst of signing a contract with Madonna's Maverick Records. Duffy's fiery manner is instrumental to his success, but when his deals go sour, no one seems safe from his explosive temper. He sounds delightful. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
Whoa. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> what a genuine... You know what? I'm just glad that... I'm so glad... What a... Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just so glad that some of these little brood entities got to grow up to start a band. <laughs> oh my god, could you imagine that? I I would pay money to see that. Right? Just stand very far away from the stage. <laughs> They're like the, the, the start of like mumble rap because they can't... They can't apparently speak. That's right. You know? Yeah. They're all like aggressive grunting. <laughs> so, okay. That's hilarious. But yeah, it, it's it's really fascinating. And it's, it's um, gosh, it's been years since I've seen it. I think I might have like, when, when Netflix was still doing just discs, I rented that. Mm-hmm. So anyways. In the dark ages? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> but yeah, I um, just, sorry, bringing it back to the film i did notice like a couple i i try not to do a lot of searching online of like other people's take on you know films that we're talking about um because i don't want to you know i like to come at stuff with my own thoughts and like i saw that um a couple the few things i saw were about like parenthood like this film and parenthood and and motherhood and all the things that it says about that connection and i found that interesting and i don't know what it says about me that i was actually way more impacted by the depiction of fatherhood in this film and the whole the the fact that it starts with this backdrop of the quote i hate you because i love you and the psychiatrist um raglan playing role-playing as daddy with his patients uh obviously odd um and then Mm. but he's like emotionally invested in that role in in playing this daddy role uh, mm-hmm. which was d- very disturbing to me. And then that scene where he he gets upset when she says that he didn't protect her, um, it evokes like these visceral feelings of child abuse by this quote-unquote daddy who appears to be like, at least the way I interpreted his portrayal, like he's like disillusioned in his role of fatherhood, like something that I feel like I see in, in child abuse cases, mm-hmm. um, you know, over throughout history and through today Mm -hmm. like in his world it's almost like he's protecting his little girl by making sure that the worst of the world is only experienced through him and his presence in like Mm -hmm. some fake like salve against like her wounds or bruises um Mm -hmm. emotional or otherwise it's like and then later he like ends up being the semi good guy sort of because he helps with like getting the daughter out of there. I don't know. This whole that whole thing I'm still chewing on, especially yeah. since this was my first time watching it. I just want to add to because that's that's an extremely, I think, like poignant insight into to how he portrays these figures for the the patients. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the only thing that I would add is that he also uses emotion in them as an abuser or a manipulator does right absolutely yes because he provokes them to suffering right and then superficially Mm -hmm. exhibits like a sort of performed compassion in order to manipulate them in the exact way that an abuser does yes a hundred percent i'm just so disturbed like tiny murder children (laughs) whatever okay they're they're terrifying but this dude he is the most terrifying yeah. like guy right. in the film. Right, because there's also like a weird uh, eros about it, you know? Like, 
I wouldn't necessarily say that it's sexual, but it's certainly intimate. And it's yes. like this public abusive intimacy that is ritually performed. <laughs> yeah. For all to see. Yeah. And then yeah. he only sort of redeems himself at the end, I think, because he realizes these weird manifested um, murder fake kids uh, are kidnapping children and causing general murdery chaos that's interesting i i didn't necessarily feel that it was because they were they were murdered it was any other reason than he's now in danger he was on this Mm. like power high for the whole film of like you can't see her blah 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 i'm in charge of everything and then he finds out that they're actually killing people and it's like oh she could get Mm -hmm. mad at me at any i could die Mm -hmm. I, hey, I fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I need to do something about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Finally. It's like, all, it's like all those scenes like uh uh not as good a movie as this, but the Suicide Squad uh cut where they like push <laughs> that uh Diablo character to the point where his powers yeah. manifest and then it beca- he come, basically mm. becomes like a walking fire weapon and they're just like, "Oh, I'm going to be um uh we just get you there. I'm going to be over here. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of curious is, um, you know, Cronenberg kind of satirizing like pop psychology. Is this like, this is his kind of um, satire. I mean, given the time frame, possibly. Yeah. Like when did, no, that was the eighties with the. Est. Well, was, was Est around then? I know that was kind of like a guru-y kind of like self-help i mean like all the elements are there though because like you have the 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 basic concept behind the psychological science quote-unquote is very freudian in a way Mm -hmm. uh where because it draws out your id and through that he doesn't use that language but that's what it's doing supposedly uh and then it manifests itself both physically and then that's part of the healing and that's kind of a weird take on uh psychoanalysis but it's it's basically a psychoanalytic type thing and then you have the 60s coming before this that had all these weird guru worshiping hippie movements of of weird charismatic predatory people taking people in pain and manipulating them in large groups absolutely so you have all the elements there and it's it's interesting what i was thinking of earlier was sybil which was before this movie so oh man that movie's fucking rough yeah it is (laughs) (laughs) like so like but what's interesting in this film as opposed to others that try to talk about these fad psychology psychiatry things and then end up making the person with the mental illness innately evil in this one i at least i don't take it as nola is not in my opinion inherently evil she's just playing this role in this other evil dude's manipulated reality where she is Mm -hmm. spouting off little murder demons that she doesn't fully recognize that that's what she's doing Mm -hmm. she's not evil the other dude is whereas a lot of other films it's the person with the mental illness and trauma that is the right bad person. yeah or the or the distorted body in common bullshit horror parlance you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah because she's definitely treated as a victim of trauma yeah that it her trauma is is inner through her id is producing these effects that she's unaware of yeah i mean it, it's interesting um because i never really viewed her as like the villain and and it's it's exactly like you said it's 
kind of great that they don't like, um, you know, Cronenberg was very conscious about not um, portraying her as like a frothing at the mouth, like evil, you know, woman. It's, it's, um, it's the doctor. He's the fucked up one. He's probably the, he's mm-hmm. ironically, he's probably like the most in need of his own therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he's manipulating yeah. people he's in you can tell that he enjoys getting off on the power dynamic mm-hmm. and not even necessarily getting off in like a sexualized way but like he receives psychological benefits from having this power over people mm-hmm. <laughs> many doctors do many psychologists psychiatrists doctors anybody in a position of power those professions um attract people need power in order for them to feel good about themselves mm-hmm. and so that actually you know going hand in hand with the science and then weirdness in Cronenberg's work is it's a recurring theme of this mad doctor um, going too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He revisits that again and again and again. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that he would continue to get away with it despite its controversy. If it weren't for the fact that this one particular patient, uh, some such a powerful id that it can manifest things that have, that, that escaped the boundaries of this little fiefdom he created. Right. I mean, like the, it, like the movie kind of implies, doesn't it, that they were like the one guy was going to sue them or try to take them down at least. I, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. The... Yeah. The, the one who had uh, cancer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He did. That was such an interesting scene as well, because it was, it was again, more manipulation where, you know, Yes, it was in the name of trying to get this guy to come down, but it was like, we're just going to make people think that this has something to do with cancer. And I was like, yo, Cronenberg, what you trying to say? (laughs) That came out of nowhere, dude. (laughs) That actor is so brilliant. I... He, he's oh, he's yeah. the one actor that like okay I kind of maybe re- retract my my earlier statement like he kind of goes into the hammy side of the acting but I think it's perfect um, and I, again this movie is so weird and kind of off kilter anyways I think you most kind of need uh, somebody that's just a little more bombastic and strange. Um, because, you know, even, you know, even um, Samantha Egger at her most over the top still feels grounded in some kind of reality, mm-hmm. even though it's like a fucked mm-hmm. up reality. Um, mm-hmm. She's brilliant. I, I, I think that she really nails this movie 100 percent because you do you, you feel so sympathetic for her. And, you know, even when it's gets kind of creepy with her, like licking the, the baby she just made, like. We got to talk about that scene, too, because that was really something. Well, one thing that uh, here's a fun fact that the, the people at home might not know. Um, when all of those little broodlings, whatever they're, they're specifically called, come out, um, they're actually all cherry flavored. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. Uh, right. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's too far, it's... Jeff. Like God, she's she's so good in this. I mean, it's like I mean, she's she's chilling, she's heartbreaking, and just she just yeah. I I can't say enough good things about her performance in this. It's mm-hmm. it's stellar. I'd also say that like like Frank the, the the performance of the character of Frank is well performed as well. Mm-hmm. Um. Because he he he's not portrayed as as though he is a a perfect morally upright protagonist. He's not a perfect guy at all, but 
that sort of parental panic that something is causing harm to his daughter and it's mysterious and bad and it has to stop. He does that pan that driving single vision panic really well. And, and you really feel the terror, the terror and the suspicion and the, I have to figure this out. It's getting worse. Our handle is great. He was mm-hmm. uh, also uh, in Black Christmas, the original, in a small role as one of the boyfriends. Of oh, right. Right. Oh, nice. Wearing a big old fur coat, Evergarden style. is amazing. He, which he still has, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Pretty great. Um, I, I think the other thing that I, I think would be really interesting to talk about is just, like, this movie is so, like, primal in, in different ways, but just as far as just, like, the relationship between, like, mother-daughter, like, father-daughter, um, you know, just, like, the parent-child relationship. It's, you know, really fascinating because you can, you know, there's, like, a, a pretty surface-level reading of that, but you can also uh, dig so deep into that, which I think is, like, a lot of aspects of this movie. It, you know, it's all, for me, it's just, it's all, like, such raw emotion, like you were, Jeff, you were just saying about, like, how, you know, the dad is, like, on, like, panic mode. Like, he... You know, mm-hmm. it's instincts at this point. It, it's like a, as much instinct driven as like the the brute creatures, um, which I think is like a really mm-hmm. interesting reoccurring um, motif and theme in, in this film. Yeah. And I, I also think it's interesting, too, from from to, to look at Nola's actions when the the daughter gets taken by the brood and taken to the little effective compound mm-hmm. that she expresses possessiveness over the daughter but it doesn't feel like love right it feels like she just doesn't want the daughter taken from her and so it's also interesting to look at it psychologically it's like her rage is so dominant that she doesn't even she has possession but not even love for her own actual progeny mm-hmm. in terms of what she exhibits at least and that is what it's like to grow up as the child of a narcissist everybody mm. You are owned. You are not really loved. You're owned. You are property. And that's that's why the rage. And that's why, like, I will kill her before I let you have her. Right. Yeah, because it's Madness. like it's like a stand your ground law. It's not like, oh, this is bad for the person. It's more like this person is my territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really powerful. Wow. And just one more note on uh, the father, Frank, like, Yes, he was an incredible actor, and and um, I would like to note that he is a very good mouth actor. His mouth acts just as much as the rest of his face, which I appreciate. And yes. um, I I appreciated in the film that there was like this seed of doubt after you saw the the very beginning, where you're like, there, you know, Raglan's playing this daddy role, and then you see this father, and you're like, ah, are all men in this universe fucked? Like, ah, what's going on? And then, um, you know, he's worried about the bruises and on her back. And then there's that scene of him taking pictures of her in front of the window. And it's like perfectly set up in this like little fairy tale. And I was so uncomfortable. And I was like, how often does this dude do this? I hate him. I'm not a fan. Like, I don't care that he's taking pictures of her bruises, whatever. And then he ends up being a good guy. And I was like, oh, I appreciate that little misdirect. Thanks. I mean, because at the beginning, it doesn't really reveal all of its uh, the cards in its hand Mm -hmm. where, you know, something's awry 
maybe a lot of things and you know that terrible things are happening to this girl and that people are kind of odd and creepy but it doesn't explicitly let you know what the nature of the threats are going to be until you get pretty deep into the film yeah awesome still five out of five love it does anybody i'm I'm curious because i i don't know if anybody watched like any like the original trailers and stuff but like i'm curious like how much of like the creatures they revealed in the marketing because i i went into this like um i think i saw this maybe um like 10 ish years ago and i had heard about it of course just because of by virtue of you know cronenberg but um you know i went into it completely fresh not really knowing about like the creatures and and it was such i think like it would be such an, a shame if like that was kind of spoiled like right out of the gate because i know joe dante um cut the trailer oh for this. okay um and i'm gonna play it right now with it on volume on mute and i'll be able to tell you it's been a while since i've seen the actual trailer yeah i know like i'm sure like i i got the criterion um release of it and then before that i had it on um dvd but like probably yeah it's it's like it's so interesting and i'm really glad that i kind of went went into it completely blind like not really knowing about that because um like luna said it's there's and and jeff you also said like about how there's there's so many misdirections and you know, it, yeah. it doesn't really uh, show all its cards, so. Yeah, like, he's really, Cronenberg, uh, I think, was really at his, definitely at his his best here. Not to say that this is his best film, per se, although for it, it's a perfectly good choice for his best film. But he's certainly very adept for this at, at developing a sense of unease and an atmosphere. Oh, yeah instead of just making it blatant who the villain is etc like you're just uncomfortable in all directions that like that like that opening therapy scene is so painful and uncomfortable to watch Mm -hmm. and i mean it's like talk about like setting a mood like i'm Mm -hmm. curious if he had to fight to get that as like the opening scene because it's such a it's such a wild way to open your mouth yeah. your film and it's i have a funny yeah. I, I have a actually funny comment about that specifically uh kind of how this was your first watch luna yeah uh, this was my second watch but i completely forgot that it started that way so it was as though i was experiencing that new and my initial impression was like this is so freaking weird. Is it going to be like this? I'm thinking to myself, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm just like, is it going to be like this? This is the acting is so shitty right now. Like, and it's just uncomfortable and bad. And then it pans out and I'm like, Oh <laughs> yeah, definitely a little surprise in store right off the bat. It is a preview of more uncomfortable trauma to come. Yes. I think mm-hmm. uh, watching the trailer here, they they start off with a couple of uh, clips from the kitchen scene um, and then they play a lot of other tense moments and then they end on the little brood uh, creature smashing through the, the door, the particle door and grabbing mm-hmm. uh, Cindy okay. Hines, mm. the, the actor. Uh, so they show glimpses of it, but it's not like today where you show 100% of the yeah. movie yeah. in a trailer. 
Yeah. Which like, is ridiculous. And like, I, for some reason, people want that now. Oh, my God, no. I mean, I, I guess she, yes, but not me. <laughs> that actually yeah, ruined... I, mean, uh, I, I watched the... There's this movie that I personally love still, but The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's a good I one. I love that film. Uh, yeah. But I watched it with my partner, and the tra- having seen the trailer ruined the experience for her because they telegraph mm-hmm. almost Everything. the entire film and don't deviate from that. It didn't ruin it for me, but I definitely get that. Yeah. But uh, I do want to say, cause we've, we've been, um, we kind of basically got deep the entire time and really raw and super real since the drop of this episode, which for the record, I, I more than appreciate. But is there anything about it that someone, that one of you had in your notes or something in the, just the back of your mind that you kind of wanted to interrogate a little bit that we didn't get to yet? Um, so I, I thought it was interesting. Um, like when they were do like, I, I love the whole scene, like the whole scene of like, um, like the autopsy of like the brood creature. And I was like, it's interesting that they like color tint that scene. And I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Um, like, cause it's, cause there's no other shot that's kind of like, um, like that. And I was like, yeah. uh, was this like a mandate that like, maybe because it was like, nude that they like wanted to but they but but i don't think that's it because then i think they like they specifically say it's like has no sexual organs so yeah I'm like why was that scene like color tinted purple purple yeah, yeah. um which um, i thought was an interesting color choice too um mm-hmm. but it's possible that it could be um not just creative choice but a choice that had to be made because of budget and time um mm-hmm. i i think what he was probably going for may have been the fact that like all right this is a weird really weird alien world that we're exploring here and i don't have the funds to do what i want to do mm-hmm. so i'm going to try to make an artistic decision that will scream to the audience like this is a whole new ballpark we're playing in now mm-hmm. that's my guess i think that's a really insightful guess because if you look at obviously his later stuff if you look at at the fly if you look at video drum when he has the budget his the when the execution meets the concept his concepts are so multi-layered and high value that it's pretty incredible but he's had high concepts of that level the entire time before he was able to get the budget to fully do them yeah mm-hmm. um, um yeah like even like like right out of the gate even with like sh- something like shivers i mean you know it's taking like this like concept of stds and making it into like a creature feature and i fucking love that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know sometimes like um i know rabbit has a really big following i mm-hmm. i like shivers more than i like rabbit i feel like like rabbit's just kind of a retread of shivers yeah it's very similar so D- izzy did you say you have to rap yeah, uh, it's getting uh, really noisy okay. over here, and I'm trapped between um, lots of landscaping outside as well as, you know, my husband is on a call right now and walking around the apartment and being very loud, so... Like, of course. again, we're, like, thrilled to have you, because, um, like I said, I've been such a huge fan for a while, so this was fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love this movie. Um, I'm, I'm super excited that, you know, you guys were able to watch it and are... Going down the weirdo rabbit hole with me. Yeah. 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 Honestly, Izzy, uh, we we appreciate your time so much and your choice of this film. And 
You were such a great guest. You can come back anytime. You can even pitch an episode if you feel like stopping by and chatting something very specific. But yeah, like, thank you so much is all I was going to say. Uh, Mike? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say if there was anything um, you wanted to like plug before you um, left and where people can find you. Oh, uh, yeah. Plugging anything this year has been ridiculous <laughs> because, you know, whatever. So um, I'm probably going to have... Um, a book of short stories coming out at some point. I don't know if that's going to be this year or next. Ooh. That's something that's in the Fantastic. works because I, I write short fiction as well. Nice. In terms of films, there's been one that's but a comedy of errors with this goddamn puppet build. And so, you know, we're filming during this pandemic that hasn't been able to happen either. Um, but you can find me online at nilenockdownfilms.com. Um, same with Twitter and Instagram. So I'm around. Awesome. Hello. Thank you. And then, um, and then, uh, Mike and Luna, um, I'd love for you to, to tell the folks at home as always how they can find you as well. Luna, maybe you can go first. Sure. Yeah. You can find me, um, once again, still not performing yet because, uh, pandemic but soon hopefully. Um, but in the meantime, you can find me at L U N A underscore M I N U I T on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all those things. And you'll find out there when I'm doing things again. Fantastic. Thank you. And Mike, for yourself? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at StrangeCinema65. And um, you can check out my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema, which is on Amazon. And um, yeah, my also my website, The Video Attic, which is just videoaddict.com. Um, I upload like six days a week so there's always something new um i've been doing a lot of really cool interviews and like mm -hmm. some uh, new film reviews uh on top of my home video reviews so check it out absolutely and uh thank you both so much for again for co-hosting uh it was fantastic time and folks at home you know how you can find me you found this uh and i love you for it once more i'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening from the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. <laughs>